Hey guys, welcome to the Banging Boardcast, episode number 491. I'm Chris. I'm John. And I'm Paul. We're a weekly podcast that comes to you in three ways. The first being The Week in Geek, bringing you the top geek stories of the past week. Next is the list of comic books that we're looking forward to coming out August 17th, 2022. Yeah, that's the year. That's that's it. Uh, Then we follow it up with our weekly rotating main topic. And this week we're bringing you the 23rd part of our great Marvel movie retrospective, Spider-Man Far From Home. Ooh. Yeah. We're, this isn't the newest one. This isn't this the newest is the one, but one. it's crazy to think that we're now in the movies that I've seen maybe less than twice. Yeah. Because a lot of these movies, like, they start really pushing out content, so I haven't had I haven't had that drought in between stuff to go back and, like, rewatch, like, save her, so, yeah. I got thoughts. Yeah, and let's hear those thoughts over some beers. Paul, what are you drinking, my friend? I just opened up uh, from Thin Man Breweries, their Oktoberfest. My one friend, John, who's on the podcast with me, drank a bunch of Oktoberfests last week. And I'm like, you know what? Those sound delightful. I should I should in- investigate what, uh, what Oktoberfest comes out in 16-ounce cans, much like this Thin Man Oktoberfest, and uh, see if it's any good. Now, I opened it, but I didn't get to take a sip, so first reaction, live. One sip, everybody knows the rules. Except I don't really like that guy. He's kind of a jerk. I don't even know what you're talking about. That's fine. Um, no, it's... Hmm. Hmm. It's malty. It's good. It's. It reminds me of the fall, so it's doing everything it should. It's, it's nice. John, what are you drinking? You're, you said you're going to have the one beer? Don't uh, leave this in suspense. I am having from Other Half Brewery their Lime Snaps. I had their Poetry Snaps a couple weeks ago on the podcast. But this is a lime-flavored rice lager. And this is light, refreshing. Uh, Not as much lime as I'd like in it. I'd like it just a little little bit more. Um, Lawson's Finest had a... Uh, the Lime Scrag Mountain. I feel like I had a lime beer last week, too. No, I, it was all Oktoberfest. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, I... No, I had one in my personal my, my personal life, not my bad co- podcasting life. You know what's the thing about this Oktoberfest? If you told me it was a brown ale, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't be like, oh, yeah, no, that's, that's definitely not a brown ale. I would be like, oh, yeah, that's a brown ale. Hmm. Yeah. I, I don't um, think I have that refined of a palate after all these years. <laughs> I can see them having a little more of a roasty one. I had mm-hmm. that roasty uh, Oktoberfest from Victory last last yeah. time, and I was surprised it was so roasty. And you could have given that to me, and I would not have said Oktoberfest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would have said, like, Porter. I would have said uh, Dark Lager. I would have said uh, a Brown Ale. Like, I, I yeah. would have had three guesses before I said Oktoberfest. I, inspired by John uh, last week, I'm also drinking an Oktoberfest. And this is coming from Tampa Bay's very first microbrewery, 8-1 Bay. And this is their Oktoberfest, um, 6.2% ABV. Just literally calls itself like a Marzen on the can. It's got like a, 
like Oktoberfest girl there with like some signs. Um, this is delightful. Like it's got a really nice big sweet on it, and then you get that kind of like nice biscuity like breadiness. I, I'm mm-hmm. really digging this. I think. I'm glad I picked up a four-pack of this, because this is fantastic. I think I've had one other beer from 81 Bay before. Um, I believe I called them 81 Bay, but literally on the bottom of the can it does say 81 Bay. But mm. I'm I'm really digging this. I have to see what other beer I had from them before, because I don't think I was super impressed by it. I'll have to do some research in between stuff when we take a pause, but Anna, this this got me in the mood. For Oktoberfest, because this is hitting just right. Um, I'm already in pumpkin beer mode because yeah. I can get um, <laughs> I can get warlock and pumpkin down here now. So I'm hoping uh, the other offerings they have. I don't know what Southern Tier is doing, John. So you should have know, so you should have nitro cold brew coffee, and I think uh, there's another one they're doing. Okay, because I, I think it's new though. Because I follow them, and they, they've been kind of teasing it out because they have, like, a bunch of pumpkins, like, sitting around, like, a campfire and stuff. And some of them yeah. I don't recognize, but I'm looking forward to it. Um, much like I'm looking forward to getting into the news this week in the Week in Geek. Mm. Guys, Disney earnings calls happened uh, just today. We're recording this on Wednesday, or maybe it was yesterday. Uh, Wednesday, no, it was, uh, the it 10th. Was, it was today. Um, because and they announced the lineup for the D23 Expo at it. So now you can ooh. see like what panels they're doing, what days, and everything. And during the earnings call, they uh, came out and said, hey, guess what? Uh, Disney Plus, you know how everybody's signing up to be a member of it? It's yeah. great. Yeah. We're, it's, oh, it's making a, so much money, it's right? It's great value, too. All that content for $7.99 a month or $79.99 for an entire year. Like You can't beat it can't beat it and they said you know what you can beat it because we're losing money and you know don't worry investors we knew we would be losing money we weren't we weren't going to turn a profit on this until 2024 but you know what we better speed that up because uh we're going to raise costs on it it's going to go from 7.99 a month to 10.99 a month or uh, 109 dollars a year yep. so that's 30 bucks more a year yep and uh three bucks more a month so uh, but they also just beat Netflix in subscribers as well. Yeah. They added up 15 million more subscribers over this quarter. Uh, Disney Plus had a slower rollout like throughout a bunch of different countries. Granted, Netflix has had so many different years to expand into different regions and different countries and stuff like that. Uh, I think now, I think Disney Plus is now in all the major markets that they were looking to expand in. There might be markets that still don't have it. That they might be getting it later, I don't know. They didn't mention that on the investor call, as far as I'm, I'm aware. So it's it's a lot. Like it's a big price jump. I mean, we did have a small incremental increase before because it went from like the initial, it was like six ninety nine to seven ninety nine. Mm-hmm. But this is a big jump. But honestly, for how much I watch it and how much I actually do enjoy the content that they're putting out onto it. I think I'm still okay with this price point for it. Um, I think once it goes higher than this, as it inevitably will, that's when I might have to start looking at, okay, well, what can I drop or purge? Because I'll be more likely to ditch something like Peacock before before this. 
since like we talked about last week, Peacock's just comfort viewing for me. Yeah. It is what it is. Like if I don't have it, that's fine. But I don't like the idea. They're going to come out with uh, apparently in December a ad supported uh, uh, subscription as well. I just don't like the idea of that for Disney Plus because Disney Plus is what I use instead of putting on the Blu-ray or mm-hmm. DVD that I already own. Like yeah. if I'm going to watch a Marvel movie, I'll yeah, but just you put it on Disney Plus. But you have the choice, yeah, to pay that. So uh, I will tell you the story that I told Paul when we came on. <laughs> I didn't want to hook up my Blu-ray player because it's like let me turn this way because it's under my TV here and Mm -hmm. it's not plugged in currently so i signed up for a free hulu trial and then from there signed up for the free stars add-on trial so i could just watch it streaming without having to plug stuff in and dig out the blu-ray and now i'm (laughs) gonna have to just cancel it on my day off because i literally just didn't want to do that like 37 seconds worth of work and how easy was that it was super easy. <laughs> it seems like more of a hassle to sign up for all those free services. Uh, no, he and just then sat on the ca- couch and right. did it. Yeah, I, I literally just sat on my couch while I did it. That was it. <laughs> I know. I know, know what I'm part I mean? of the like, problem, though. I know, like that's. But the, the ad supported for Disney Plus, like I, I'm not interested in it. I do understand. Hey, it would save me some money, but it also kind of ruins. The reason I have Disney Plus is, oh, I have that whole catalog of movies, and I can just watch the movie instead of buying the Listen, movies that I Paul, really want. Paul, not everybody's made of money. Not everybody is paying for a streaming service and is buying the Blu-rays and is no, choosing not to watch. No, I already have owned the Blu-rays forever. Don't do the clap <laughs> at me. But see, but that's the thing, too, because now I have everything on Disney Plus. I yes. haven't been buying the Blu-rays anymore mm-hmm. because I don't need to. They're all... They're available for streaming. And again, for how much I watch it, how much I enjoy it, I'll probably be okay with spending this still. But I'm probably not going to go for the ad version because I hate yeah. ads when they pop up. Even with Peacock, it's ad-free, but mm-hmm. you still get There's ads some shows. because you get ads for Peacock. And technically, they don't count those at advertisements. Oh, jeez. Yeah. It's kind of some bullshit. If it enter- if it interrupts the actual video that I'm watching, that's an ad. It, I, I would agree. It, like I was shocked when I got my first ad. And I was like, oh, I thought I was doing like the ad free one. No, it it is because I'm watching stuff for what I'm already watching. It's dumb. I don't like it. But hey, Paul, as a stockholder, you're probably pretty happy at least. Well, the stock did go up to 108 dollars, so that's a that's a ten dollar bump from when I bought hey, that stock. There so, you go. Hey, hey, Paul, that <laughs> pays for that one extra. <laughs> that's that pays for one extra plus. month of uh, only. But then I would have to sell that stock at that point, so I only get that. I don't know. It's ten dollars once. It's. Valued. I need them to announce a dividend. <laughs> valued. Um, that's not the only sad news we have with Disney Plus prices going up. Uh, the other day, we lost Olivia Newton-John to cancer. Um, I don't have a lot to say, much like the other recent passings that we've had, because not a fan. Like, I hate Grease. Mm-hmm. I don't it's, know all the words to Let's Get Physical, and after that, I cannot tell you anything else she's done. 
apparently she had some country music hits as well. I didn't I didn't realize that. I just heard about it on NPR when I was driving into work. Um, they mentioned her passing, and I'm like, okay, cool. Or not cool, but, you know, okay, that happened. Uh, I found out about this because I follow Goldie Hawn on Instagram, oh. and she put a post up about it. Uh, and I haven't really seen anything on social media about her passing as much as, like, on, on the different things that I've seen, so... It was interesting that... Why do you uh, follow Goldie Hawn? Because she puts pictures of Kurt Russell on. Okay. <laughs> I, I guess as soon as you said that, that makes sense. Okay. I, he, I he get wants that. To know, he wants to be the first one to know she about actually, the, the Santa Santa Claus Chronicles 3. 3, yeah. No, she's got, she's got a fun Instagram thing. I was listening to another podcast, and they were like... Sh- they were talking sh- about John, we, her... We talk, we don't talk about other podcasts. But... But they mentioned her thing, and they're like, yeah, I follow her. And they're like, why? And he's like, because she's fun, and she puts up pictures of Kurt Russell. And it's true. She's got a lot of fun things that she puts up. Isn't Kurt Russell and uh, his son, what, Wyatt Wyatt, Russell? They're going to be in a movie together, or a television show together, or a movie together? I don't know. They're doing something together. That's possible. And someone else that's doing something... Uh, we knew Anthony Ramos was going to be appearing in Ironheart. Uh, Anthony Ramos, mm-hmm. you may know him. He played uh, John Lorenz in Disney Plus's Hamilton, a.k.a. Mm-hmm. the actual Broadway Hamilton. He originated the role. Um, he was also in the uh, in the Heights. Uh, okay, yeah. He, he played Usnavi in that one. Uh, fantastic. I love him a lot. But set photos have leaked where he's actually going to be appearing as the Marvel villain The Hood. You see him walking around. He's got, like, the big cloak on. He's got, like, guns in his hands. Uh, some cool boots. He's got some, some cool boots. Probably let him walk on air. Uh, I'm I'm down for this. I think it just shows Marvel's cool with, like, trying something new, doing something different. I, and, again, that's DC's stumbling block, not to bring up the Batgirl news. But Marvel's just throwing everything at the wall now. And, you know, Disney Plus... Costs have ballooned because of it, but you know what? They're putting that content out there, and they might be. I'm trying to think how to word this because yes, they do invest heavily into creating content, and we don't know exactly like how much money they're making from just like people subscribing for that content. But all this stuff is coming out on DVDs and Blu-rays still. Like they're they are selling merchandise, so there is ancillary money coming in from these, you know products for this content that they're still probably really happy with. It just going to a different division because it's not going to the streaming services. It's probably going to like parks and resorts or consumer products like Mm -hmm. digital media. Like it's all, it's all there. Disney made its profits. Don't you worry. They made their money. (laughs) Well, just think too of like Mandalorian, Mandalorian costumes, Mandalorian guns, everything Grogu, like all of that stuff. That there's just like, oh, oh, burp, 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 back, back the truck up full of money. John Favreau created Mandalorian for us. Wonderful. They were selling, what, $50 macaroon cookies. <laughs> like, dyed blue yeah. because they appeared on the Mandalorian, like, the very next day. It was, like, crazy. So, yeah, they, they, they're making their money. They're, yeah, they're doing okay. I'm, I'm fine with. With them taking yeah. that hit. 
yeah, I was excited. I sh- I shared to you guys like wh- as soon as I saw that the hood was going to be in uh, uh, that show. Like I sent it over to you guys right away. Just excited on my own part of like, yeah, I love that. I love that story, and yeah. I love that when he pops up in um, in other stories. Yeah, because fun fact, like that original hood miniseries debuted. Like right when John and I got back into comic books, like that was, I think issue number one came out on like the first day we went back into the comic book store because you had picked that up. Yeah. And that's also what let us know about Brian K. Vaughn because he wrote that. That, that was our, our first introduction to a character that we'd read for the next 20 years mm-hmm. or a writer we'd read for the next 20 years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, uh, uh, I, I love every minute of it. Well, you know what I love? Me? You. And talking about the comic books, we're going to be buying this week in the list. Ooh. I'm going to take a... John, what you reading? Uh, In my book that's coming out on August 17th that I am very much looking forward to is number 30 of Usagi Yojimbo. Uh, I have been reading Usagi Yojimbo with my son, and we've started to read the current and read old uh old back back issues and trades of it and uh that ronin bunny is a a lot of fun and um they're being hunted by these ninja assassin bats usagi yojimbo or matemoyo yo usagi blah is with his cousin, and they have a jade dragon, and they are trying to protect it and find out who's killing all these people. Ooh. And uh, it's a nice mystery samurai story. Hmm. Fun. I am also looking forward to uh, lots of ninjas and samurai stuff with Daredevil number two, aka Daredevil number six hundred and fifty. Um, this is being, Sounds like a perfect jumping on point. It does, except I missed number one. But it's okay, because this is actually kind of a collaborative book. Uh, 52 pages, uh, written by oh. Anna Senti and Chip Zdarsky. Um, and I'm going to read the solicitation, because this is kind of what hooked me into it. Uh, but thanks to Elektra and her newfound role as the woman without fear, Daredevil is more ambitious than ever. With a who's who of creators from across the fabled character's history and some can't-miss surprises along the way, this oversized epic kicks the next year of uh, Zdarsky and Chichetto's landmark Daredevil run off in explosive style. And then for the artist for the issue, it has listed Klaus Janssen, Chris Samney, John Romita Jr., Alex Malev, Mike Hawthorne, Phil Noto, uh, Brandon Anderson, wow. Marco Cicchetto, Pete Woods, Bill Sienkiewicz, uh, Gary Frank. So they're de- literally just going back through Daredevil's kind of greatest hits and bringing in some of these creators, uh, which sounds great. I would love to see some other names in there like Paulo Rivera, but you know what? It's fine because I've been missing Daredevil and all the hubbub going on right now about, you know, Daredevil appearing in No Way Home and born again echo. coming out like echo like i miss reading daredevil so yeah you know i'll give this one a shot and seeing how i feel about it like if i go to the shop and they have number one available i'll pick that one up too because you know what's what's better than sitting around reading some some daredevil but this sounds definitely like more of an anniversary issue like oh this it's 650 it's number 650 First, yeah 
versus it being number two. Yeah. Well, that's that's what they're going for with it. And I mean, yeah. it's it seems like somebody in marketing messed up and like should have had a filler issue. They should have had what like one filler in there. But you know what? I'm okay. And then had n- number one. It, yeah. Maybe someone did the math wrong. Maybe they thought they had it, and then yeah. they were like, "Ooh, our bad." Oh well. In the scope of things, it doesn't matter because they're going to relaunch it, or, switch numbering around, anyways. Yeah. Or if they wanted the sales from a number one. And also get the sales from an anniversary issue of 650. Yeah. That could <laughs> they're, be. They're getting it both. But Paul, are you, are you buying a number two? Yeah. I am buying a crossover into a series that I'm not really reading. And that's Dark Crisis tie-in, uh, The Flash, number 785. And John absolutely nailed the reason why I'm buying this. It's, it's a Flash book with all the Flash... The Flash family on it. You got the Flash. You got Jay Garrick. You got Jesse Quick. Yeah, that's her name. <laughs> Not Liberty Bell. Uh, running on it. So I'm like, all right, cool. What are they doing? I don't really care. As long as they're all running together. Uh, when I was when we were looking for books, I saw that cover and I went, oh, I bet Paul's going to pick this. And, uh, and then he was like, I'll pick on the Flash. Called it just like that. I just said it really exactly like that too. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. Written by uh, Jerry Adams, uh, art by Amasi Nahilpon. I'm I'm sorry I put you that, but you know I shouldn't have attempted to start. Just flash seven eighty five. Wait, before I go get my next beer, I'm not reading the dramatic reading, am I? Yes, yes you, you are. are. Okay. So you stay here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, because, I'm gonna stick around and I'm gonna pull that up. Because now, Bagging Boardcast proudly presents a dramatic reading from Dark Crisis Issue One, Page Seventeen, Panel One. You heard what Nightwing said. The world needs us to step up to carry on the legacy. Of the Justice League. My father once told me that the League formed because they knew they were better working together. So I'm putting together a team. And that was a dramatic reading from Dark Crisis, number one. Page 17, panel one. Sorry, I forgot we did the whole thing again. I thought we just said... So now, yeah, we... Always draw it out longer than you need to. I drawed it up uh, out at the beginning because I was like just waiting for to see what orientation Jen was finally going to settle on with his phone. Well, because the panel when Paul sends it, it's always like a little fuzzy. So I was like, "Oh, I'll try to make it bigger," and then it just made it smaller on my on my <laughs> oh, thing. Geez. So I had to turn it back and then zoom in. Uh, I got my beer. It's delicious, guys. Uh, I am having from Founders their ultimate Oktoberfest, Imperial German-style Marzen, aged in bourbon barrels, coming in at 10%, bottled on 725.22. And I will tell you, this is delicious. This is everything I like in a barrel-aged beer um, that isn't a stout. Um, 
the complexity of the vanilla. This reminds me so much of Backwoods Bastard because it's got that vanilla. It's got that barrel. There's like a really nice brown sugar sweetness coming off of like the malts. This thing should be a sipper, but it's probably because it's so, so nice, so drinkable. I fear that I'm going to drink it way too fast. Uh, this is absolutely delicious. And I'm fighting to take my next sip, so I'm going to pass it on to Chris. What are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking another beer from a f- different Florida brewery. This is coming from Barrel of Monks out of Boca Raton, Florida. And this is a blood orange vanilla wit. And this is a Belgian-style wheat ale with blood orange and vanilla. And they say on the can it's akin to uh, a creamsicle smashed together with a wheat beer. And I definitely see both of those things. I don't know how I feel about this yet. Um, I'm definitely getting both of those notes there. But I don't know if I like it. So I'm going to take another couple sips while, Paul, you talk about what you got next. I'm drinking an old standby, an old classic, but something that I haven't enjoyed in a very long time. And this is the Single Cuts 18 Watt. Uh, This is their, like, sessionable Indian Pale Ale. Uh, What percentage is it? I don't even, I don't know, but I don't think it's that big. And this is just a nice, easy drinking uh, sessionable IPA. Uh, this is also like kind of with the Oktoberfest. I got some disc golf dates coming up here in uh, mid to late August, so I'm kind of stocking up for those kind of events. And this is definitely something that I like to bring out to the uh, to the round with me. So I'm going to I'm enjoying it. It's um, it's kind of fresh. Got a little bit of that hoppy flavor on the back end. Um, again. I think it's a little bit more flavorful than a uh, all day IPA, but you know, it's still in that same realm. So, hmm. yeah, eighteen watt single cut. Chris, did so, you figure out? I I I didn't. I I took another few sips, and everything that I'm thinking as I'm sipping is like, well, it's coming up like very artificial orange and vanilla flavor, and then you get that. Like that kind of like spicy wit coming in on the back, which is fine. But then I started thinking, well, it's meant to be like a creamsicle. So, yeah, that doesn't actually taste like orange at all. So I think it's succeeding in <clears throat> in that respect. Um, it's not bad. I think if this was a little bit colder on a hot day, it would be really good. I don't mind it. I think it's like a solid three out of five. Like it's very middle of the road. I don't dislike it, but... It's not what I was really hoping it would be, but also it still is what it says it is. So it's, I think it's all on me. Uh, but I do really enjoy Billy 18 Watt, Paul. Mm-hmm. It's got a nice like, little pithy grapefruitness to it. Yeah. Refreshing. For a session, uh, I don't think you can go wrong. Yeah, it's really good. I, I don't know the price on it because I just went wild uh, the other day at the beer store I, and just picked up a whole bunch of just just picked up a mess of stuff like i sell it for 12.99 for a four pack nice i was at the local grocery store buying it so i probably paid the same price <laughs> <laughs> uh 
But Paul, how much did you pay to watch Spider-Man Far From Home? Uh, $3.99. Oh, you... Now, Paul... Sorry, is this your first time watching it? This is my second. Second, okay. John, I... Was your second or more? Mine? Yes. Mm-hmm. This was probably like three or four. Oh, okay, wow. Because I saw it in the theater... When it came out on video, I think I watched it again. And then um, I think I watched it one more time after that. Maybe it's number three. I knew I watched it once when it came out. So maybe this was three. I, I'm i pretty sure this is my... Th- Actually, I'm not because I know I bought it on Blu-ray because I knew we were going to be getting to this eventually. But I don't know if I actually watched it. Like, I would literally have to go into my Blu-ray box, dig it out, and see if it's unwrapped. And I'm not going to do that right now. So I'm going to say this is probably my third, because I saw it once in theaters, and then I'm going to say I watched it after I bought it, because that's what I was doing during, like, the shutdown. I was just watching a lot of movies and playing a lot of games. Um, You guys want to get into it? Yeah. Jump jump right in, uh, because here we are again. Uh, I'd like to swing in. You can. You're allowed to. Only this one time, though. But here we are with the continuing adventures of Peter Parker, Spider-Man. 2019, directed by John Watts, continuing the tale of Spider-Man in our 616 Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, This one dealing with the fallout of Avengers Infinity War and Endgame, literally picking up the pieces right afterwards. Um, so much so that when they put the trailer for this movie out, they had Tom Holland introduce it and saying, hey, if you haven't seen Endgame yet, probably don't watch this trailer because there's major spoilers in it where they reveal mm-hmm. that. Spoilers for those of you listening. Tony, no, they already Tony, listened. Tony, Tony Stark's dead. Like, and this they is, listen to our retrospective on I'm hoping they do. But every Endgame, podcast otherwise... is like a is like a... A comic book. It could be someone's first. You don't know. That's um, true. And you know, Pete just wants to get away from all of that big world ending craziness and he just wants to be a normal kid. And what better way to do that than go on a school trip with your friends? Well, just so happens this school trip was curated by Nick Fury. Who's not Nick Fury? We'll come back to that. Uh, to get him to help assist with another world ending threat. Luckily, he's not alone, because he's got Mysterio on his side. Or does he? Lots of twists and turns in this one, boys. I'm really excited to talk about it, because I really like this movie a lot. And I know it's a Spider-Man movie, so Paul doesn't. Unless he surprises us at the end. Yeah, well, that's that's true. I don't like it a lot. But, John, (laughs) for Spider-Man movies, how do you feel about this one? Uh, I like it a lot. I would put this up there as uh, my in my top favorite Spider-Man movies. Um, but no, I I really I really do enjoy this movie. I think Tom Holland is great as Peter Parker, and I couldn't. I don't know who you would cast other than. Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as Mysterio because 
he is so likable when he's turned on that charm Mm -hmm. and he's trying to win Peter. And then he is so evil and such an asshole and is like just oozing everything that he says that he hates. And he's just the biggest prick ever. But it's such a contrast to him sitting on side of a building telling you know telling a kid like tell the girl you love her i don't know you don't have sarcasm up here like he's definitely able to pull off both of those and when like even at the end when he's like send everyone shoot them all like he's so the complete opposite of the Mm -hmm. charming guy on the counter it's almost like it's like two different movie characters yeah and i think jake and gyllenhaal does does that so well and he plays that hero in Peter's eyes perfectly to a T. And I don't think this movie is as good as it is without him. Okay. I think one of the strengths of these three movies, like the Homecoming, Far From Home, No Way Home, is in the cast because everybody in these movies and everyone around Peter Parker is so sweet and having so much fun in this. And one of the notes I had written down is I wish they had given more to like JB Smoove to do in these movies because I really love him. It's just like the teacher that's just like, whatever, fuck this. I'm I'm just here. What? Like, it's fine. It's all witches. It's all witches. I'm a man of science. And science. I think it's witches. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Uh, well, so uh, Dr. Do you want to again, y'all? Do it. Do you want to take uh, first watch or second watch? I took an Ambien. Uh, I'll I'll do third watch. I just took an Ambien. (laughs) Amazing. Um, I think I like this one more than Homecoming. Um, It's going to take talking about it for me to put it on my final ranking. But I don't know. Everything about this movie moves at a clip. And it does a lot. Like... It's literally like a globe-spanning movie because they go to a bunch of different like countries and cities. Um, and a lot happens in it, but it moves pretty briskly for being like two and a half hours, I think. How long was it? It lasts longer than Ned and Betty's romance. Two hours and nine minutes, so yeah. Um, there's a lot of fun Easter eggs in the movie, too, where they were kind of seated in there to make you think it was all going to be something else, and it's just pure nerd bliss like all the license plates on any of the cars are references to different amazing spider-man issues because it'll be like at the end when you see uh fury pull up in his car the license plate is like amf 1562 so you know reference to amazing fantasy uh Hmm. Number 15, 15 1962 and then some of the other ones that people were spotting in the trailers were like during the Hydro Man quote unquote attack, one of the license plates was like ASM. I can't remember the number. It was like 72, like 74. Like, oh, so people were like, oh, that's when Hydro Man made his debut. Like, it's Hydro Man. I think they did such a good job with setting this movie up to make you think it was going to be something else and then twisting it to be, you know, Mysterio as the villain. That if you didn't know Mysterio was a villain, this was probably like a big surprise because. There are people that are going into these movies that don't have that knowledge of the comics or the mm-hmm. cartoons that you see Jake Gyllenhaal pop up like, 
he's a devilishly handsome man. Oh, like he's fighting that giant sand monster in the bidding. Of course he's a good guy. Um, I think it's a really good twist and turn when it turns out like he's a disillusioned Stark employee and like they're all just in it for the money now, which I think is a great play. But also is Mysterio's first appearance where he is making himself look like the hero to be the villain. So it captures even that original story uh, so well in it. And yeah, like once you've watched it and you've seen the turn and then when you watch it again, you can see all those people who work for Mysterio in the background. Yeah. And they just show a glimpse of the kids walking by and a guy like kind of staring at him, and you're like, "Oh, yeah, that's that's one of the guys. That's one, this person." Mm-hmm. Or oh, oh, look, that's that's that lady. That's the lady that made the cape. She's there. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's um, <clears throat> I don't they they do do all of those things well, and that was the thing is especially with Marvel is they tweak everything so when you see that and you see it's Hydro Man and you see it's Mysterio you're like oh is Mysterio going to be a good guy in this like what are they going to are they going to do that and I remember us having those conversations when that trailer came out and speculating what is it going to be is he the good guy is he the bad guy and then we know he's the bad guy uh, we, wa- we, we watched the movie we, we knew but there was still like that that off chance because you know these are completely separate entities from everything that came before. They're free to do something different. Um, also, kind of fun. Uh, uh, one of the things that they do have is when Peter and his classmates are making their trip over to Italy. Well, on the flight, you can see some different in-universe documentaries that they have for your viewing pleasure. Mm-hmm. Um, they are as follows. The Snap, which is all about, you know, the, the Snap, or as they're referring to it when people came back, the blip. Um, Heart of Iron, the Tony Stark story, which I think is kind of fun knowing that we will have an Iron Heart story coming mm-hmm. out, too. I don't remember when everything was laid out and announced, so I don't know if maybe that is a hint for Ironheart or if it was just something that they put and maybe they're going to try to draw on it for the Riri Williams series. We'll see. Um, Finding Wakanda, because now everyone knows about Wakanda in the world. Hunting Hydra. And then finally, Nova, Einstein Rosenbridge, uh, Mm. featuring Professor Eric Selvig. Fun things. That's that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, I know I saw all these before on previous watches, but I don't think I caught the title of the Selvig one was Nova. So again, kind of fun. Nova, obviously Marvel superhero. Don't know if that's going to play into anything down the road. But or, or the PBS, you know, science, you know, our Nova. Could be, but is, you know, there, because it could have been just, you know, one of, one of those episodes. Who knows? <sighs> Nova. Or PBS. WGBH Boston. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know if it's did, that. Did you donate enough to get a tote bag? Is that how you know? Uh, oh, of course. Yep. There you did. Yeah. Got, you got to get a tote bag. Um, one of my favorite things, too, was kind of those callbacks to the rest of the MCU when you do have that Mysterio Quentin Beck turn where you get to see the guy that Obadiah Stane's yelling at 
is alongside him. Like, Tony Stark did this with a box of scraps. Uh, Ralphie from A Christmas Story. It always blows my mind that that's Ralphie from Christmas Story, uh, a.k.a. Peter Billingsley. Um, and then, you know, this wasn't actually in the movie, but, you know, Beck was there when Tony was giving his speech to the MIT students about, like, the BARF program. Um, I don't think... Beck and his cohorts here have the best villain role, but also I can see them kind of being like, no, like Stark was a guy that basically preyed off of all of our hard work and technology. Why aren't we getting paid for this now? Let's, let's go get it guys. Like it makes sense. Um, and I think it's also fun. It's like villains by committee. That's, a, that's something we haven't had yet in the MCU. Universe. <laughs> yeah. Trying to think if I don't have a lot of notes about this one, yeah, because I think it's just a fun movie to watch. And while yes, it does build off of the MCU, it also still functions just as a Spider-Man movie, where you yeah. definitely need to have that knowledge about him kind of being Tony's protege almost, and Tony acting as a father figure to him. But for the most part, this movie does get away from what a lot of people complained about, where it was, oh, he's not Spider-Man, he's Iron Man Jr., because he's now getting further and further removed from that. Yeah, Happy makes his appearance. They make him a new costume. The whole MacGuffin in it is uh, Tony's Edith classes. But for the most part, like it's more Spider-Man being Spider-Man. And I think that's something that we also had in Homecoming, where it's the core of the characters there, and that's what's most important, what makes it feel like a Spider-Man. It definitely feels like a teen like, road trip movie as well, a little bit. You know, there's definitely some of that tropes of uh, Ned and Betty falling, you know, starting dating on the plane and just being so, like, kind of goofy in love, and then Peter is just, like, has this has this whole plan. The first time we see Peter in this movie is him describing his plan to Ned about how he's going to get the girl. It reminds me of uh, what's that that movie in the early aughts? Uh, the one with Jennifer Love Hewitt and the uh, kind of nerdy kid from Empire Records. Um, can't hardly wait. Oh, can't hardly wait. Oh, okay, yeah, I love you know, that movie. He sits down and he's like, hey, this is my plan. It's my last chance to, to get this girl. This is how I'm going to get the girl. Like, it, it's a very... How, how can like, you get that girl, though? She's with Mike Dexter. How are you going to get this girl? He's She's being chased by that kid that always had a bloody nose, but now after the blip, five years later, he's grown up and he's super cool. His name's Brad. Well, you kill him with a drone. That's how you do it. <laughs> Goofy antics ensue, guys. Goofy antics. It's all goofy antics, but they still do have a way to make it hurt, make it real. Like, as soon as, you know, you have that Beck turn and he starts targeting Peter and his friends, like, mm-hmm. the gloves come off. It's no longer like, oh, we're going to try to, like, make ourselves look good. It's like, no, we're going to take this kid out. And that whole nightmare sequence where he's attacking Spider-Man, it's fantastic. Like, seeing it again, I was like, okay, this is... This is really good. The, the first time I saw it, I'm like, oh, why is this Peter Tingle not working? 
Like his, he should be because that's how Spider-Man defeats Mysterio, right? He just knows which ones are the illusions and which ones real because you know the spider sense. So like they kind of eliminated that at the very beginning when Aunt May throws a banana at him, and apparently that's off because you know maybe pressure. It's a psychosomatic kind of thing. I don't. Know. I mean, it could be not to. I just. I know. I just got finished saying like he's not Iron Man Junior, but. Don't forget, Iron Man 3 was the aftermath of um, Avengers, 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 where it was Tony dealing with like post-traumatic stress disorder. <clears throat> it was like him trying to like figure out who he was again. And now you're kind of getting that with Peter, too, because it's literally like thrown out there right at the beginning when he's helping May at the charity, where everyone's like, oh, are you going to be the next Iron Man? Like, what's what are you going to do now? And it's... It's a lot of pressure for a dude that literally just wants to finish school and hang out with his friends and try to talk to the girl and, he's got a crush on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can see uh, <clears throat> there is some... He definitely is a little off of these things. He, when you're a superhero, too, and the person that is a father figure to you dies in front of you, who do you have to really talk to about that kind of a stuff? Whereas, like, well... I was on a. I was, Aunt May. Let me sit you down. So, I was on another planet. I was fighting this big purple guy with these other aliens. This guy who's from Earth but lives in space. We fought a giant purple dude. Uh, we lost. I turned into ash. I came back, and then I saw my father figure die. Like. Who you know? Like, it's hard things to deal with. So I can see you can see things why things would be off. And Chris, you bringing up Tony Stark after Avengers is definitely uh, definitely a a thing. And that vision he had in uh, Avengers Two is something also that really has always stuck with him uh, with Tony Stark. So I can see that. Yeah, I can also see it as a kid that wanted to be taken seriously as an adult, but now that he sees what it means and the pressures that it takes and the sacrifices that need to be made to be an adult, like to be an Avenger, it's a little, he's like, whoa, 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 that time will come. Right now I just want to be a kid, be on my trip, and kiss a girl. Like, that's, I don't want to be an adult right now. I was the adult. Yeah. I did battle a Galactus. Now it's time for me to be a 16-year-old again. <laughs> and yeah. thank goodness all my 16-year-old friends were also blipped yeah. and are still 16 <laughs> instead of 21. Yeah. I, Except for Brad. Oh, fucking Brad. <laughs> um, it's And my aunt also didn't get got blipped. It, I mean, it works out okay. She's a ghost. She's a ghost. Uh, or a mistress. Why not both? Um, <laughs> there is. I feel like Aunt May did live through it because they have the same apartment. They they talked about that at oh, did... charity event. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she when she returned back, she was the wife thought she was a mistress. The grandmother thought she was a ghost. That was the people that were living at the apartment. I missed that. Yeah, it's when um, I the... had to watch it twice to. Uh... <laughs> During my second viewing, I caught it. Yeah, I had, oh gosh, I had something that I wanted to bring up, and I can't remember what it was. It was just kind of like feeding off of where we were in the conversation, but 
It's gone now. It's okay. Um, Peter oh. wanting to be an adult and now come. I got back. there. Okay, you got it. Yep. Um, but also, it leads a lot more into why he's so ready and willing to trust Beck because he's looking for that father figure still, and he doesn't mm-hmm. know what to do without it because. He was struggling for so long on his own, and then you know Tony came in and completely changed his world. And I think it's kind of heartwarming that at the end he realizes, like, well, no, Happy's here. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't need a father figure. I got a cool uncle. Like, okay, this this will work too because it's him blindly trusting someone because he needs someone to trust. That is ultimately what messes him up and basically ruins his life going forward because we know where this is going to go now where we have his identity revealed to the world he has to team up with Doctor Strange to cast a spell and now you know the multiverse is like collapsing in on itself which mm-hmm. is a lot of fun because watching this movie when it came out uh, Beck makes mention of the fact that he's from a different earth like he's from somewhere mm-hmm. across the multiverse and he's visiting our world, the 616. 833. He's uh, 8338. Um, oh, 8338. Which, which is, is weird because Dr. Strange goes to 838. I, I actually had to rewind that point because I'm like, wait, did he, did I mishear it? Because I was writing this down. Um, so I don't know what the discrepancy is. They could equate it because he maybe heard it from someone else somewhere, science side of things. Because how else would he no, know that well, our world is 616? When it's also confirmed by Christine Palmer in Multiverse mm-hmm. of Madness that, like, this, you know, I say this or ours, because well, the MC, MCU is 616. Bernstein, the the writer, is the guy that came up with it. So maybe that's he's something. from a parallel Earth. Or maybe he dreamed it. And you know, oh, dream it. That's true. That means... That it's actually you in another multiverse that, uh, experiencing it. That could be it. Now, let's just take one second here, and we have to talk about the elephant in the room, which is J.K. Simmons' back is J. Jonah Jameson. Yeah, I think this is... That's a post credit scene. Though, perfect. Right? It is a post credit scene, but I think we've talked about most of everything else that happens in the movie, because again, like... This is just a fun movie to watch, and it's a breeze. Like, it just, it goes. Um, I think this is one of those things where it was the absolute right move to make. Much like having John Krasinski appear as Reed Richards in Multiverse of Fantasy. Now now you're just foiling movies that we haven't seen, you know, haven't reviewed, though. But that's what the retrospective is. It's leading up to everything else that's coming next. It's one of those things where... Marvel knows what people like and what people want. So, yeah, if they had put someone else in the J. Jonah Jameson role, (laughs) people would have been excited to see J. Jonah Jameson. But putting J.K. Simmons back in that chair and then having him be like that internet, like, Gossip King, raconteur kind of guy, it's it's perfect. Like, it it works for this version of Spider-Man. And as soon as you see him pop up and it's like, oh, holy crap. Like, and they saved it for the very end of the movie, like a post credit scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that was the, like, 
when you go see these movies right on like opening day or right in the beginning when it's everybody's first time seeing it, there's always something there's something electric that everybody is on the same page that they really like. When J.K. Simmons pops up as J. Jonah, mm-hmm. the audience went nuts. They all went, whoa, yeah. And I just remember my wife being like, I don't get it. Why? And I'm like, I'll tell you later. Let me enjoy this. Shut up. Mm-hmm. And then being like, that's the guy who played it in the original Spider-Man movies. And she's like, oh, okay, that's weird. I'm like, no, it's great. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it's a great piece to to bring Jonah back in and we, I know we're not talking about it, but in the next Spider-Man movie, you hate J. Jonah Jameson as much as you do when he's in the comic books because he's such an asshole. Yeah, I... It's funny you bring that up because it wasn't something that I had thought about until that moment, but I loved Jameson in the the Raimi Spider-Man movies because he's, he's so scene-chewing and it's like more like the 60s Jameson, it's like it's like the cartoon, like yeah. Spider Man. Yeah. Like you don't trust Jameson, anyone, though. Trust like trust my barber. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so fun. And yeah, this Jameson, like no, not at all. Um, and like I said, this was a post credit scene. We do get a post post credit scene, um, revealing a little bit more about Nick Fury and Maria Hill because they're scrolls, baby. Yeah, I thought that was a weird reveal because kind of like in the movie, you get that right after that or during that uh, nightmare sequence uh, where Mysterious just like going full like uh, hologram attack on Spider-Man. Like you see that he could even mimic Nick Fury. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh, that's why Nick Fury was acting so weird. And like, even during this rewatch, I'm like, oh, Nick Fury is doing exactly what you'd want him to do if you wanted Peter to be pushed away from another adult in the room, somebody that he should be able to trust so that he can only trust Mysterio Mm -hmm. because he's just ridiculing him and like causing him like, you know, annoyances. Yeah, it's somebody doing a bad Nick Fury impersonation. Uh-huh. And I I do really like this scene, not just because, you know, what it entails and what it could be setting up, but just because Talos, again, Ben Mendelsohn, uh, you got to see him in Captain Marvel. It was like, people are asking me about the Avengers. I don't know what to tell them. Like, I could really use some help here. Like, it's fun. And I think that's what the big takeaway from this movie is. It's just came out in July it's just a fun summer movie. And yeah, it deals with some heaviness. It's spinning out of like one of the heaviest Marvel movies of all time. But right from the get go, where it starts off with that in memoriam on like the campus TV show, where it's like everything's done in like Comic Sans font. And they're just using like mm-hmm. file footage that they were able to find of like Vision and like a news screen capture of like Black Widow. And uh, getting images on the candles at the very end. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the, the, Watermark. the kid's, like, talking over to the side because he doesn't know how to actually talk to a camera. It's from the get-go to then. It's just a fun movie. And I, 
I really dug this. I don't know. I'm still trying to think where I want to put it on my list. Um, but one other thing to discuss, unless you guys have anything else you want to kind of bring well, up. Well, at the very talking about the very beginning, you know, after because this is the first movie after uh, Endgame, so you were like, oh, so all those people are suddenly back. Like, how did that work? And they just kind of make a joke of it. They're like, oh, band's back on stage playing, and they get hit by a basketball. Ha ha! Funny. And then, you know, a little later on with Aunt May, like, oh, no, all these people need to be resettled. Like, they've been displaced. Well, I think that's... But, like, that's about it. And hand wave, hand wave. I mean, until we get to Captain uh, Falcon and... Yeah, Winter Falcon, Winter Soldier, and then also still kind of in Hawkeye, too, because you see Yelena come back from being snapped away, too. Yes, it's a little bit more traumatic for some people than just... Like, marching band in the gym. But that still fits with, like, our our tone that we have in our Spider-Man movie. Um, because it did show that Hulk was able to bring people back safely. Like, that was one of the things that he took mm-hmm. into account when he did snap the, the Stark, uh, or as it's known, the Nano Gauntlet. Um, Tell that to the kid that got whacked in the face by that basketball. He's fine. He fell over in a tuba Paul. or a sousaphone. Sousaphone? Sousaphone. Have you ever been hit in the face with a basketball? Yeah. It sucks. But yeah. you're fine. You're here now. But I've never been hit in the face with a basketball and then fell over while wearing a sousaphone. That could have really hurt. I mean, there's a first... Cracked a rib. There's a first time for anything. But uh, this was also... Another first uh, for this movie because this was actually the first MCU movie without a Stan Lee cameo because we had the final one in Avengers Endgame. Which, when I do my notes, I always have a spot on my sheet of paper for Stan Lee cameo. And it was weird with this one where I was like, wait, where, when is it in this movie? And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Like, it's, it's not going to be in it. There are no more. There was a little thank you at the end though. Like, at the very end of the credits with the uh, the Talos post-post-credits scene, where it was like, you know, thanks to Steve Ditko and Stanley. So, always present, never forgotten. But, John, do you have any final thoughts on Spider-Man Far From Home? Uh, no, I enjoyed it. Um, I know where I'm going to put it on my list. Oh, I forgot about putting oh, you it always gotta, You always got to put it on the list. Chris has mentioned it like three times. Yeah, well. Uh, well, I'm going to put it at number 10. Uh, so number 10, it's going to be in between the original Iron Man and Captain Marvel. Homecoming is above it. Uh, Homecoming is above Iron Man. Um... Yeah, I'm gonna. I, yeah, I think I'm gonna keep it at number ten, um, which is interesting. Is Captain America: Winter Soldier, Captain America: Civil War, and Spider Man? The two Spider Man movies are both in my top ten. Everything else is individual movies, except for like I mean, like the Avenger movies. But I feel like those are different enough. But it's not the same superhero trilogy or franchise. So I just thought it was kind of interesting that Spider-Man and Captain America, their sequel movies uh, made it into into my top 10. 
Paul, do you have do you have a spot in mind for yours yet? One, two, three. Yeah, it's going to go above Iron Man two, but below Thor. Mm, it's going to go above Thor, uh, but uh, above Thor, but below Ant Man and the Wasp. So it's it's um it's my bottom one, two, three, four, five, six. It's my seventh from the bottom. So what I do want to make mention of is you like this one more than Homecoming, though. Yes, okay. yeah, it, it's a little bit more fun. Um, I like the, the I like the interaction between MJ and Peter Parker a lot more. I like most. I like I like the non Spider Man moments of the, this movie a lot more than this the Spider Man. Like I just movie. like seeing all these kids interact with each other or interact with their teachers, like. I would just be fine with watching this without all the Spider-Man stuff, too, probably. like it's, yeah. I like Ned. I like Peter. I like MJ. Mm-hmm. Flash, like, anytime he's on screen, like, he's fantastic. Um, he's live streaming. I love the- I love when he gets slapped in the face and then he, like, gets back up and he's like, oh, ah, my jaw. <laughs> I love that moment where they make you try to feel bad for Flash Thompson, but you're like, no, fuck him, when he's like, Mom couldn't make it. I feel like they tried to do that in the last movie, too, and I think it's the same thing, where it's like, no, this kid's a dick, it's fine. Um, My dad's gonna kill me, you can't take the car. I'm taking the car. Okay, (laughs) Spider-Man. I think, for me, I have to put this right over Homecoming, but probably behind Guardian. So this is going to be my number... One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. This will be my number nine. So both Spider-Mans are in my uh, top ten as well. And Well, hey, my uh, both Spider-Mans are in my bottom ten as well. So it's it's it works out. It's okay. Um, yeah. they, they all can't be Endgames or Winter Soldiers or Infinity Wars, which... You know, it's going to be hard to unseat those because knowing where we are now with all of the upcoming movies, and when I say upcoming, I mean the stuff that comes after this and the upcoming TV shows and the things that we still have yet to see, it's going to be hard for anything to take out some of those until we get to stuff like Secret Wars, I think. Like, it's... The kings are going to reign, pretty much. But guys, this is part 23. And if there's something that we didn't bring up that you guys want to talk about, let us know on any of the social media posts for this episode. This is 491. That's crazy. Email us over at bangboardcast at gmail.com. Let us know your ranking of all the 23 Marvel movies that we've already talked about. Because guys, I think what we're coming up to next... Uh... The next one for the retrospective is going to be the one-shot retrospective, where we're going to talk about all of the uh, the one-shots that they put out as like little mini-movies on the Blu-rays or uh, DVDs. A lot of them are available on uh, Disney Plus now. Some of them you might have to look up on YouTube, but they are there. Or if you're like Paul, you might have the DVDs. I don't, yeah, I I don't have the so DVDs, those would be, so I will have to try to... I will need to know what ones that there are and which ones I need to watch. Uh, check the show notes uh, doc page oh, because they're all listed there and most of these, yeah, 
most of these are available currently on on Disney Plus. And I didn't write down anything. 